Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 10, as we follow along with today's lesson. A genuine faith will lead to works. If I truly believe, then my faith in Jesus and my submitting to Jesus as my Lord will bring an obedience in my heart unto him and a desire to work for him, a desire to serve him. But it isn't of obligation, nor is it to earn my salvation. It is because I am saved that I want to do things for the Lord. It's because I love him that I desire to please him. So I go far beyond the law as far as my service to God. You know, if if you're doing it by the law, then you're just going to seek to get by. What is the minimum I can do to get by? But when your motivation is love, then there is no looking at the time clock. There's no looking at how many hours in the week. Uh, I have a little problem with the 40-hour week concept with men in the ministry. Now, if you're working for General Motors, that's fine. Punch out. But if you're serving the Lord, I don't think there's any such thing as, well, it's 5 o'clock, I don't take any more calls after 5 o'clock. You know, tell them to call tomorrow. No, no. There are no clocks. It's just when Christ, who is my life, and you don't, you don't think in, in terms of, you know, eight hours a day or, or whatever, you just are there to serve the Lord whenever the call or whenever the need arises, regardless of how many hours you may have already put in this week. I'm talking to the Uh, pastors that are on staff here right now. (laughs) Peter went on to say, but we believe that through faith or through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we shall be saved even as they. In other words, he acknowledged that they were saved by faith and they were saved through the grace of our Lord. Jesus Christ. And that's just how the Jews are saved. For there is no difference, Paul said, that is between the Jew or the Gentile. All of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God. And all of us must come to Jesus Christ, believing in his atoning sacrifice for our sins in order to be saved. And God in his grace recognizes our faith and trust in his son and he imputes that faith for 
righteousness. So the multitude kept silence and they then allowed Barnabas and Paul to share as they declared the miracles and the wonders that God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. They shared their first missionary journey and how God worked such wonderful miracles among the Gentile people and how many of the Gentiles came to a faith in Jesus Christ. And after they said their peace, then James, who was the brother of Jesus and one of the early leaders in the church, answered and said, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simeon or Simon, Simeon and Simon are the same, Simeon, Peter, has declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Interesting phrase. God visited the Gentiles to take out a people for his name. There is an interesting scripture in Luke where Jesus says that Jerusalem will be trodden under the foot of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. But then Paul in Romans 11 speaks about the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. In other words, God who knows all things and God who is sovereign over all things had prophesied in the scripture that the Gentiles were to receive the gospel. They were to be saved. But there seems to be a certain number that God, knowing all things, would know of Gentiles who would believe. And blindness has happened to Israel in part until the fullness of the Gentiles is come in. Then God will deal with the Jewish race again. But this fullness of the Gentiles, interesting phrase. Here you have the same idea, to visit the Gentiles, to take out of them a people for his name. And God today is still gathering from the Gentiles a people for his name, but I personally am convinced that we're almost to the full quota. That it's just about time that the fullness of the Gentiles is just about complete and that God will then take his church while he visits the world with judgment and as he deals with the Jewish nation for one more seven-year cycle. And then Jesus will return with his church and will establish God's kingdom upon the earth. And our prayers will be answered. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Altar calls are always interesting to me. As I see people going forward, I often wonder, is the last of the Gentiles 
being fulfilled <laughs> at the altar call tonight? I mean, will we get through this entire altar call as the Gentiles are coming to Jesus Christ is the final compliment being accomplished tonight. One of these nights it will be. It'll be glorious. God is taking out from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And James says, to this agree the words of the prophets. Now he's going to give them a scriptural basis out of Amos, for it is written, after this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. Now, this is not yet complete. This is when Jesus comes again, that the kingdom of God, and as the descendant of David, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, he's going to set up God's kingdom, uh, the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. And I will build again the ruins, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. So the gospel to be brought to the Gentiles. Known, he said unto God, are all of his works from the beginning of the world. God in Isaiah sort of declared, I am God, there is no God like me. I declare the end from the beginning. And to me, one of the strongest apologetics as far as proving that the Bible is God's word is this prophetic aspect in the Bible. How God showed them things that were going to come long before they ever came. And uh, these Marvelous prophecies in the scripture that prove just what James has declared here, known unto God are all things from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, James says, my suggestion is, now he is not speaking as the Pontifus Maximus. Uh, he's not speaking as the authority of the church. He is suggesting now uh, that this is the way they resolve this dispute and this problem that has arisen in the church as far as what relationship the Gentile believers would have to the Mosaic law. Is it necessary that they keep the rituals in order to be saved? My suggestion is that we don't trouble them which from among the Gentiles have turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from the pollution of idols. Now, in those days, most of the meat that the pagans ate they would take it to the temples of their gods and they would offer the sacrifices. And a part of the meat was 
burnt on the altars to their gods. A part of it was kept by the priest. And the rest of it, they kept for themselves. But their meat had been offered to idols. Quite often, the meat that you would buy in the marketplace was meat that had been offered first to idols. And so the suggestion is that they abstain from the pollution of idols, that is, from eating meat that had been offered to idols. Now, the idea is the breaking down between this barrier between Jew and Gentile in order that you might eat together. He is suggesting that they sort of keep a little bit of kosher in their meat and in the preparation of their meat, that you thoroughly bleed the meat, that you keep from blood, which uh, again was uh, a part of the uh, kosher killing of the animal, thorough bleeding of it. Uh, and, and so if you do this, then the Jews can eat together with you. If you don't do this, then uh, there could be a problem if you're eating because of the Jew and his conscience about these things. So that you keep from blood. Now, and, and things sacrificed to idols. Uh, Paul later writing to the Gentile church on this issue, said, when you buy meat at the butcher shop, don't ask the butcher if the meat was offered to an idol. Don't ask him. Just buy it, take it home and eat it. But don't ask any questions. Because if you ask, and he says, oh yes, then, you know, you might have trouble with your conscience when you eat it. So just don't ask. And when you're invited to eat dinner with friends, again, for conscience sake, don't ask them about the meat. Just eat what is set before you, asking no questions. So it's sort of a, you know, for conscience sake. Because he said, we know that, you know, it really doesn't make that much difference. You know, it's, but conscience can sometimes bother you. So just eat what's set before you, asking no questions. And when you buy your meat in the market, don't ask if it's been sacrificed to idols. So write to them that they abstain from the pollution of idols and from fornication. The Greeks said this was the only new virtue that Christianity brought into the world. You see, prior to Christianity, fornication was very common and accepted. But uh, Christianity brought with it this faithfulness to the marriage vows and the prohibition of fornication. So, Keep yourself from the pollution of idols, from fornication, and from things that are strangled. That is, kill it and let it bleed. Because when you strangle it, of course, the, the blood stays in the meat. And so keep yourself from things strangled and from blood. That sort of covers the same thing. For Moses of old time has in every city 
those that preach him as he is being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So this pleased the apostles and the elders and the whole church. And they were deciding to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, whose surname was Barsabas, and Silas, the chief men among the brethren. Now, have Paul and Barnabas come back and said, well, this is what they said, you know, we don't have to worry about it. Uh, we don't have to be circumcised. We don't have to keep the law of Moses. There would have been those that, oh, they didn't really say that. So they wisely sent some of the leaders from the church in Jerusalem to take the letter there so that they couldn't accuse Paul of forging a letter or whatever. Uh, these men would go and verbally confirm what was written in the letter, the decision that they came to through prayer and seeking God. And so they wrote letters by them after this manner. And this is basically what the letter said. The apostles and the elders and the brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you, with words, and they have subverted your souls, saying that you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. They did not have authorization from us. That didn't come from us. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men... Barnabas and Paul, who have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same thing by mouth. They'll confirm to you that this is the decision that has been made. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Whoa, here's the secret. Today, every major denomination has its conventions. And we read in the paper of the decisions that are being made annually at the conventions. And the issue of shall we ordain homosexuals and, and many of the major denominations are, are striving with this issue now. And they get at the convention and they have these big arguments. They have splits. A hundred churches will pull out of the convention, you know. And, and, and it seems like the conventions are bringing more division than they are unity. Where really the purpose was to develop unity. This calling of the meeting in Jerusalem. But notice, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Oh, would to God at these conventions that they would be gathered for prayer and seeking the mind of God. What is the Holy Spirit saying about the issue? These issues that are being debated. What is the mind of God on the issues? Oh, that, that from these conventions 
we could write and say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That this is the mind of the Spirit. This is how the Spirit of God is leading us in these issues. I believe that James, as he is giving his suggestion, is exercising the gift of the word of wisdom. Because as the result, it unified the church rather than dividing the church. Oh, how we need the Holy Spirit to bring us the answers to the troubling situations that might arise within the church, the differences of opinions and ideas on these issues. Seeking the mind of the Lord, seeking the wisdom of God, seeking the direction of the Holy Spirit on these things makes such a big difference. So it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from meats that were offered to idols and from blood and things that were strangled and from fornication, for which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. God bless you. Fare ye well. And, and, and so no big long list of regulations and rules, but just the simple basic things. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter, which when they had read, they rejoiced in the consolation, the comfort of it. All right, praise the Lord, you know, the issues resolved. And Judas and Silas, being prophets, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. So they stayed on for a while just preaching because they had the gift of prophecy, sharing the word of God with the people. And after they had tarried there for a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. However, it pleased Silas to abide there still. So Judas went back to Jerusalem, but Silas stayed on. And Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, and they were teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Great church. A lot of good ministers in the church. And, and a, a blessed church because they were being taught and as well as being exhorted in the preaching. Now, some days after, and there was a, a, a gap of time between Verse 35 and 36, indeterminate. We don't know how long it was. But between verses 35, they went on for quite a while, just growing and, it, you know, serving the Lord, just a great thing. But after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and let's see how they're doing. Now, Paul was just had a, a wanderlust. Uh, he just, you know, been around long enough. Let's get out and get some action. Uh, let's go back to the cities where we preach. Let's find out how they're doing. No doubt his, his heart was 
on these people? How are they, how are they doing after we have left them and, and all? How are things going? So I uh, really wanted to have a trip and go back and visit the brethren, see how they're doing. Now Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. However, Paul thought it not good to take him with them because on the first trip, he left them when they came to Pamphylia and he returned home. And so Paul didn't want to take him again. It probably created quite a problem getting him transportation and, and getting him home and all. And, and he was homesick. And, and so Paul said, no, I don't want to take him, you know. He left us the first time and, you know, he might get homesick again. So we don't want to take him. Barnabas, Barnabas he, he was, of course, the nephew of Barnabas. And Barnabas was sort of insisting that they take John Mark. Paul was insisting that they didn't. And we read that the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. I mean, this was a heated thing. The contention was so great, they said, okay, you go your way, I'll go mine. So Barnabas took Mark and he sailed to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas. Now, this is the brother that came down. He was one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And they departed, being recommended by their brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Now, we see an interesting thing in that here are two powerful church leaders getting in an argument so severe that they split company. How is it that men of God cannot agree? Is it possible that God wanted two missionary teams instead of one? cover twice the territory so that God allowed the contention to arise because that was the net effect and result of the contention. Barnabas took Mark and they headed off to Cyprus. Paul then took Silas and they headed off to Cilicia and on in, of course, they uh, went all the way over to uh, Europe on this journey. But God now had two teams instead of one, and thus the effect of it, the overall effect, was beneficial and good as far as the church is concerned because it broadened their whole missionary endeavor. Now, it is interesting to note that when Paul is in the final year of his life, he is writing to Timothy. He's in prison in Rome. Things are not looking good. He'll soon be facing Nero, and, and Nero is determined to persecute the Christians. And Paul realizes that his departure is at hand. He writes to Timothy and he said, 
My departure is at hand, and I've fought a good fight, and I've finished the course, come to the end, and I've kept the faith. But then he said to Timothy, come quickly and bring Mark with you because he'll be beneficial to the ministry. So where earlier Paul had this contention because of Mark, now he is calling for Mark to come because of his benefit that he would be to Paul. Also, when Paul wrote to Philemon, as he speaks of those that are with him, bringing their greetings to Philemon, he also mentions Marcus as one who was there with him, sending his greeting. So the differences that did exist were ultimately patched up, and uh, God still had the two missionary teams instead of one. So God can sometimes use differences of opinions, uh, disputes. He can use them to further the overall work of the gospel, as was the case here. Let's turn now to Acts chapter 16. Now you remember last week at the end of chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas decided to take off again to minister to the fellowships that they had established some time earlier. We're not certain just how long a period of time elapsed between uh, Paul's first and second missionary journey, but the general consensus is about five years. Paul was wondering how the believers were doing in those churches that they established, wanted to go visit them, encourage them. So you remember how Barnabas was wanting to take his nephew, John Mark. Paul said, no, don't want that boy. He deserted us on the first journey. Let's not take him. And Barnabas said, well, I want to take him. He's my nephew, and I'm, you know, he's matured, and I want to take him. And Paul said, no, I don't want him to go with us. And so uh, the contention was so great that Barnabas took Mark, and he went to Cyprus, and Paul then took Silas, who was one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And uh, they together went on through Cilicia and uh, Pamphylia, and so in chapter 16, then they came to Derby and to Lystra, uh, back into this area that is present-day Turkey. And a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. Timothy and Paul became bonded together, almost in a father-son relationship. In fact, Paul refers to him as his son in the faith. So no doubt, Paul, in his first missionary journey, 
met Timothy's mother and his grandmother, and they had been schooling Timothy in the word of God. Now as Paul returns, he finds Timothy matured, and there develops this bond, and Timothy becomes one of the traveling companions with Paul. In six of Paul's epistles, he mentions in the greetings and salutations how that Timothy sent his greetings also. Paul, in one of his epistles, said that he was sending to them Timothy because there is no man who is so akin to my own heart for the ministry as is Timothy. There was a beautiful bond that was developed. Of course, Paul wrote the two letters to Timothy uh, that we have in the New Testament. And this close, beautiful bond as Timothy became uh, a real asset to Paul and to the ministry. From a youth, Paul said, he was taught the scriptures by his mother and by his grandmother. Now, his mother was a Jewess. His father was a Greek. Timothy was well reported by the brethren that were there at Lystra and Iconium. They, they said, oh, he's a fine young man. So him would Paul have to go forth with him. And so he circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, because they knew that his father was a Greek. Now this is interesting. You remember Paul later wrote and said, I have become all things to all men that I might gain the more. To the Jew, I became as a Jew. To the Greek, I became as a Greek. All things to all men. And here is one of those beautiful flexibility things where Paul can, in order to avert unnecessary strife, he can have Timothy circumcised so that the Jews that are there, knowing his father's a Greek, uh, won't be offended. Now, Paul would be the first to say that circumcision isn't necessary. In fact, in the previous chapter, there was this big dispute over this because there were certain Jews from Jerusalem who had come to Antioch and said, unless you're circumcised, keep the law of Moses, you can't be saved. And Paul had this big dispute with them. They went back to Jerusalem to settle it. And yet, in order for peace, Paul is willing to allow Timothy to go through the ritual of circumcision just to uh, keep from having a, a stir with the Jews. <laughs> As I've often said, blessed are the flexible. They shall not be broken. I mean, it's uh, learn to bend. Uh, rigidity is, is, is a terrible thing. It's important that we learn to be flexible, that we can bend uh, when it's necessary. 
And uh, this is one of those circumstances where, as Paul wrote to the Romans, live peaceably with all men as much as lieth in you. And it's not really a compromise. It's no big thing. Uh, You know, so save some heartache and grief and some problems that those that are uh, weak in the faith. And, And Paul sort of taught that in Romans uh, those that are weak in the faith each eat vegetables. Those that are strong eat meat. And uh, don't uh, the one who just eats is a vegetarian. He's not to judge the one who eats meat. And the one who eats meat isn't to, to despise the vegetarian. That's what you want? Fine, you know. Uh, just live peaceably with all men. And, and then Paul goes on to say, if my eating meat would offend a weaker brother. I won't eat meat as long as the world stands. Why should I destroy the work of Christ in him? Because I have the liberty to eat the meat. So when I'm around him, I won't order a hamburger. When I get by myself, I'll get a cheeseburger, you know. I mean, uh, just, you know, don't offend people if you can keep from it. Of course, there is um, limitations to that, but uh, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So Paul uh, had Timothy circumcised because of the Jews in those quarters. And as they went through the cities, and here's the interesting thing, and then as, as they traveled through the cities, they delivered to the, they delivered them the decrees to keep which were ordained by the apostles and the elders which were at Jerusalem. What were those decrees? You don't have to be circumcised. You know, just uh, keep yourself from fornication, things strangled, and, you know, you do well. And, and so they, they brought to them the message of, of liberty. We're not under the law. We don't have to be circumcised. And yet... Uh, that's the very message they were carrying, and uh, yet Paul had Timothy circumcised. So it's uh, one of those things, just, uh, again, an accommodation to keep people from being offended. And so were the churches established in the faith, and they increased in number daily. Beautiful, isn't it? The growing church established in the faith increasing in numbers daily. Now, when they had gone throughout Pergia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, putting two and two together, Paul says, or Luke says they were forbidden of the Holy Spirit. When Paul was in Galatia, he wrote to them later and he said, you remember how that I was with you at the first in great infirmities and weaknesses. In other words, I was sick. So sick that he couldn't go on. He wanted to go to Asia. God didn't want him to go to Asia. Paul is strong-willed and so planning to go to Asia still, packing his bags, and so God just lets him get so sick he can't get out of bed. Now, as Paul looks back on it, he sees the hand of God. He said, well, 
I wanted to go to Asia, but the Spirit forbid me. And so uh, looking back, it's interesting how we can see the hand of God in so many circumstances that at the time we didn't particularly understand it. And, and at the time, probably Paul didn't understand this is God sort of enforcing his will. Uh, he, but later, as he thinks about it, he sees how God's hand was there directing him and forbidding him to go to Asia. So the Spirit suffered them not. But they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. Uh, so uh, there, in a vision, in the night, Paul saw a man from Macedonia, and it was, he was praying to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul wanted to go to Asia. God wanted Paul to go to Europe. And God is directing Paul toward Europe. And now, by direct revelation, a vision, a man coming to Paul and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, it is quite possible that that man was Luke because as Paul now makes preparation to go to Macedonia, Luke joins company with Paul. The story no longer is they, but it now becomes we and us as Luke, at this point, joins the party. Timothy has become a part of it, and now Luke becomes a part of this traveling evangelistic missionary team. So there are those who believe that it is quite possible that the man he saw in the vision was Luke and that later on he met Luke and it was confirmed. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go to Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord, and so notice the we, we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Luke joins the company here. And we were assured that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course, that is the wind behind them, to Semothracia, the next day to Neapolis. Took them only two days, God's will. I mean, you know, things are flowing. And uh, it, they arrived there in two days to Neapolis, which was the port city and then eight miles in from there to Philippi. And so from there they came to Philippi, which was the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, that is a Roman colony. Philippi was the site of one of the major battles within the Roman Empire. It was there that uh, Brutus and Cassius were defeated by Mark Anthony and Augustus. And uh, after the defeat, uh, the 
they made the city of Philippi a Roman colony, which meant that everybody who was born in Philippi became a Roman citizen by birth, which was an advantage. And also it meant that it became a, a, a place for Roman government to be dis- the, and the Roman law to be dispensed and the local judges were not from Philippi, but they were sent from Rome. They were appointed by the Senate and sent from Rome. So uh, it was a Roman colony governed by Rome directly through these judges appointed by the Roman Senate. And so it was the chief city in that part of Macedonia. Paul had a pattern of going to the major cities and making them the hub for the network of churches that would go out from that major center. And they stayed there in Philippi for certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made and we sat down and spake, and spake unto the women that had resorted there. Uh, as we mentioned this morning, if there were 10 adult male Jews in a city, they were required to build a synagogue for worship. If there were fewer than 10 adult male Jews, then they would worship in a designated spot that was usually by a river. And oftentimes it was just a little walled-in enclosure, no roof, but just short walls, just a sort of sheltered enclosure. Sometimes there was nothing at all. You remember in the Psalms, as he speaks about the captivity in Babylon, how they went down by the river, and there they uh, cried, you know, because of uh, their captivity. But they would meet usually by the river. It is quite possible that there was strong anti-Semitism in Philippi, and it was uncomfortable for a Jew to live there because of the uh, anti-Jewish self sentiment, and that could be one of the reasons why uh, there weren't many Jews in Philippi. Uh, but just some women, not even men mentioned, who had gathered by the river for prayers on the Sabbath day. And a certain woman named Lydia, she was a seller of purple. She was a businesswoman. And she was from the city of Thyatira. And that's, of course, back over in Turkey. And she worshiped God and heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. I like that phrase, whose heart the Lord had opened. It's glorious when God opens our hearts to the gospel. It's glorious when God opens our hearts to the word of God. 
And such was the case with this notable woman, Lydia. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If you judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So businesswoman and a great salesperson. I mean, look at the pressure she puts on. If you, would, if you judge us worthy, come and stay at our house, you know. Well, if you don't stay, then you're not judging her worthy. I mean, what pressure. Sharp salesperson. And, and Luke says she constrained us. Good businesswoman. And it came to pass as we went to prayer. And this is probably again down to the riverside. A certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us which brought her masters much gain by her soothsaying. A girl who was possessed by an evil spirit and she was a channeler that is, the evil spirit would speak through her, giving guidance, direction to people, telling fortunes, and those men that controlled her were making a lot of money off of her supernatural powers, though demonic powers. And the same began to follow Paul and us, and she cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. One of Satan's tactics to hinder the work of God is to become involved in the work of God. And one of the great curses of the church has been its compromise with the world. Satan, first of all, tried to destroy the church by a direct frontal assault. Not being able to destroy it by a direct frontal assault, he then became more subtle and he joined the church. And then he began to introduce into the church all of these false doctrines that have plagued the church through the centuries. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Acts in our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on false doctrine, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Acts 15 through 16 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. 
And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you for the Word of God and the excitement, Lord, of seeing the work of your Holy Spirit and how we thank you, Lord, for this model that you have given to us for the church, a church that sought your wisdom and your guidance to settle the issues that arose. And Lord, we pray that we might ever be open and sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that this church will be constantly guided and directed by the Spirit of God. Lord, we thank you for what you have done. We marvel and we stand in awe of your work. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing daily, day by day. Lord, help us to remain in that place where you will be in control and you can do the things you want to do. Help us, Lord, not to get in the way or to hinder the work that you're desiring to do. But may we ever be open and sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Continue your work, Lord, in our midst. Thank you, Father, for these wonderful people. Thank you, Lord, for the hunger you've put in their hearts for you and for your word. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to share with them your truth. May we continue, Lord, to just grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I'd like to tell you about a book written by Chuck Smith entitled Living Water. In this book, Pastor Chuck explains how God has the power to change your life through His Holy Spirit. This book will help you to understand how the Holy Spirit works in your life, covering such topics as who is the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do, what are the gifts of the Spirit, and how should I respond? It's Pastor Chuck's desire that by God's grace and through this book, the Lord will develop in you a hunger and thirst for the things after the Spirit that will help you come into a deeper and personal relationship with Him, transforming your life. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Living Water by Chuck Smith. Or if you'd like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD. That's 800-272-WORD. 9673.